14 called One Thing I Do. And uh, I want to just open by reading the passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles open to Philippians 3, we'll put it on the screen. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, these are the texts for these three sermons. Uh, let's read it together. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Notice he says, one thing I do. All of these together make one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at the importance, well, even the necessity of forgetting what lies behind. Things that have happened, they're gone. Today we look at step two, which is reaching forward to that which lies ahead. And if truth be told, uh, many, if not most people today, really aren't that intentional in the way they live their lives. They kind of let life happen to them instead of pursuing the passion of the call of God in their heart. They wake up morning after morning hoping that the, the world around them is going to be nice to them today. It's going to treat me right. They live in the moment. They live in the current moment. Uh, self-gratification is kind of an epidemic in our culture today, isn't it? Instant self-gratification. And as we look at the year of 2014, as we stand here on the second Sunday of the year, what is it that you, what is it that we together want to get out of this year? What is it that we want to see happen? Are we just going to let it happen to us, or are we going to have some intention about our, our lives and our passion for this year? What if we decide to be intentional about charting a course that would produce a, a harvest of souls, a great benefit to the kingdom of God, great fruit for the kingdom. What is it going to take to look back at 2014 as this year of, of great change in not only our lives, but our church and our community and our nation? And what role, what part of that do we as a church play? You know, the picture that Paul is painting in this passage of Scripture really is kind of one of his common themes, and that's that of a race. And this term translated as reaching forward is often translated or meant to be understood as reaching for a finish line. You know how the Olympic sprinters, they reach for that finish line. It's that final push, the final stretch. It's, it's leaning forward. How many Olympic runners, when they're leaning for that finish line, are thinking about the start back there? That's long gone, right? They're now only directed towards what is ahead. They're undeterred by distraction or disruption. And so my first point today is reaching forward is focused determination. Such as, let's say a couple says that they believe God is leading them to get completely out of debt. They have a certain amount of debt. They'd like to be rid of it. And they feel like God is impressing upon them. Let's, let's make this a year where we get out of debt. And they feel it as a call in their life. And so they chart their course to help them do that. They figure out a budget that if they followed it relentlessly, they're going to find themselves free from debt within a certain time frame. They've got it all mapped out. Anybody ever done that, by the way? Because whenever you produce a plan, guess what happens sometimes? Somewhere in the first few months of this couple's plan, the car breaks down. 
I always use that as an excuse, as my example, because I hate it when the car breaks down. I really do. And this young couple, they get the word that their health insurance premiums are going to double this year. What happens next really determines a lot about the character of this young couple, doesn't it? (laughs) Many times they would just throw up their hands and they would write off their debt plan as this, well, I've heard this before, like they say, if God really wanted us to get out of debt, that car would still be running. You ever heard that? They just consider their plan a fantasy and they go back to their old ways and get the charge cards out and let's go. But some would just take the setback as something expected. Make alterations, perhaps extend the length of time it's going to take. Surrender it again to the Lord and relentlessly pursue the call that God has put on their heart. And if we're ever going to fulfill the call of God in our lives, we must accept the reality that problems are going to occur. Problems are going to come. Interruptions are going to come. There's going to be opposition to our plan. We must expect them and be undaunted in bringing glory to God by the way we live. So, do you expect problems in your life? Reaching forward is this kind of focused determination. Last year I was wa- last week I was watching the NFL playoffs, and I know that's a surprise to some of you. Um, it may not be a surprise that I'm going to use a football analogy today. But there was a game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, when it came to halftime, the Chiefs were ahead by 21 points. And uh, you know how it is at halftime. They all go in and they say, okay, here's how we're going to do better. We're going to come out and we're gonna get, the Colts are going to come back. We're going to get them. And so they come out and the first thing that the Colts did is they threw an interception. And it led to a Chiefs touchdown. And now the Colts are behind by four touchdowns. And I just thought to myself, what would it be like being on the Colts sideline where you you have worked all year to get to this point in your season and you have these dreams about being able to uh, defeat the Chiefs. But not only were you down at halftime, but even after the pep talk, you're worse off than you were. I mean, is life ever like that? I mean, does, does the enemy ever hit you when you're down? And you know, the reason that it it speaks to me today is that the the Colts won that game. They beat the Chiefs 45-44 to with this ferocious comeback. And I thought to myself, they would have never been able to do that if they had focused on what had occurred in the first half. And even in the beginnings of the third quarter. They would not have given themselves a realistic chance. They would have had the temptation to think about the fumbles and the interceptions that had occurred that had led to their demise. Stretching forward leads to optimism. Pessimism is drawing conclusions about the future based on what's happened in the past. Well, it's never worked out before. Nobody's ever came back from 28 points in the third quarter. It's never, they're never going to win. They can't do it. We can't do it. See, pessimism is deciding the future based upon the past. Or uh, being a football fan like my wife. Now, you may, may or may not know, but my wife uh, went to a school in College Station. 
And um, <laughs> she even grew up there. I mean, I mean, she's just maroon all the way. And she's lived through many disappointing games, many disappointing years. And I tell you what, when she watches an Aggie football game, it can be two minutes left and four touchdowns ahead, and she's going to say, they're going to blow it. They're going to blow it. I know they're going to blow it. And after they win the game, it's kind of like she's more happy that they didn't lose than they won. And I'll say, but hon, they won, they won. And her, sometimes she'll say, well, wait till next week. <laughs> Just wait. I've been down this road too many times. Pessimism, right? Some of us live our life that way, don't we? Stuff's hap stuff has happened to me in the past, and so I'm sure it's going to happen to me in the future. You know, today's a new day. Isn't it a beautiful day? <laughs> you enjoying this? It's, it's, it's a new day. It's a new year. It's, it's time to stretch forward and don't decide your future based on what's been in the past. Believe in a God that does miraculous things in the journey ahead and don't let the past rob you of the future. I would encourage you today, if you're a person who has a real problem forgetting the pain of the past, forgetting the experiences of the past, the best cure is to give yourself a future goal to work forward to. To look ahead and say, Lord, I understand you don't want me dwelling there. Yes, it is a part of my past. It's a part of my, sto my story. But I don't have to continually live out of that hurt or that pain or that event. That's my second point. Reaching forward prevents looking back. You can't be turned in both directions at the same time. So what is this goal? What is this ultimate goal of life? What should we be giving our efforts to this year? I mean, there may be some personal things like losing weight or getting out of debt or whatever, but aren't those just temporary? Don't they have temporary value? When we get to December 31st, at the end of 2014, what, what do you want to look back and see? What do you want to look back and see for your family, for your life, for your spiritual walk, for this church? What's the, what's the chapter of 2014 going to say about Grace Bible Church? Well, as I thought about that in my own life, in my own ministry, in my own family, I thought, you know... The answer is found right in the same chapter, Philippians 3. Right in the same chapter. You know, if you have the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, the translators have given titles to chapters. And the title for chapter 3 in the NASB is The Goal of Life. Well, if the chapter title is The Goal of Life, I think we ought to read that. In the opening verses, Paul is telling you all of his fleshly... Um, Successes, all of his worldly successes, all the things that he had done that would gain notoriety with the world and its culture. But then we come to verse 7 in Philippians 3. And Paul, in the midst of listing his accomplishments, says this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, and not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which, which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's dissect this a little. The first step in finding the ultimate goal of life and all that it has to offer is to count or some, some would say consider. Uh, another word for that word is to label, to deem something. And the first step in Paul's ex- explanation of the goal of life is to count, consider, label all things of life as having zero value. There you have it. No value. It's assigning, it's the assignment of loss to everything the world says is valuable. And for Paul, it was his success in his career as a Pharisee. He had risen to the high ranks. His fleshly success of being able to live correctly. He was very self-righteous in his ability to fulfill and live out the law. It meant his privileged heritage of being a Jew, one of God's chosen. He had a lot to brag about. And you see, he had to consciously assign no value to those things. So what about us? What about you? What about me? If you are going to know Christ fully... To gain Christ. To know the power of his resurrection. To be conformed to his crucifixion and his sufferings. What things need to be stamped? No value. No value. My heart doesn't get that. My passion doesn't get that. It says in verse 8 that all things are loss or of no value in view of the surpassing value of just simply knowing Christ Jesus. And he takes it a step further. He, he wants to reiterate this so that we get it. And he says, not only that, I will strip everything of its value, but not only that, I will consider everything as waste. Rubbish. Disgusting. And so my third point is this. Let's just trash everything. Just trash it. It's temporary anyway. The things many of us give our hearts and lives to, the many, many things that we pursue after, when we're dead and gone, they're gone and it's over. And it's, it was also temporary anyway. 
It really never had any value. We had assigned great value to it, but it never had any value spiritually. Never had an eternal value. And the reason it's so critical is because you can't have the fullness of Christ Jesus plus the attachment of something else. Jesus wants to be everything. Which brings us to the next part of the verse. You lose all things for one purpose, one goal in life, and that is simply to do what? As to know Him. To know Christ Jesus is the pursuit of life, the goal of life. It says that in verse 8. It says it again in verse 10. And so the question is, do Christians today really know Christ Jesus? I mean, do Christians today who, who claim to have the grace of God at work in their heart, who have been redeemed and transformed by the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit has been deposited in them, in them as a guarantee of their eternal salvation, do Christians today who are li- talking about the faith, do they know Him? Well, perhaps you need to define what knowing Him is all about. Is knowing, Jesus, is knowing Jesus the same as living for Jesus? Is knowing Jesus the same as knowing about Jesus? <laughs> What's it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to pursue a knowledge of Him? And sometimes we make this question quite, quite more difficult than it really is. We, we try to theologize it. Just put it into a relational context and it becomes fairly clear, I think. If you're, if you're married, wouldn't, uh, would you treat your spouse the way you treat Jesus? For some, they're trying to live their life in a way that would make Jesus proud of their efforts. Can you imagine coming home to your wife every day, listing your accomplishments for the day, hoping that she'll say, well done. And if she says, well done, well... That would be all you needed for the day. You would say goodbye, see you tomorrow, and I'll give you another report tomorrow. Well, let's say you're a husband that wants to know everything you can about your wife because you just love her so much. You study everything she does from when she gets up in the morning till she goes to bed at night. You notice what kind of books she likes, what kind of hobbies she has. You get, past, you get out your past love letters from her. You read them and read them and read them, and they give you insight into what she's like, and the only thing you fail to do is... Talk to her. When she reaches out for conversation to you, you're simply too busy studying her to talk to her. Do you know him today? Do you know Jesus? What's he said to you this week? What's he said to you this week? You see, I think it's fairly simple. My fourth point. Uh, knowing Jesus is everything. And I said, knowing Jesus is everything. Knowing Jesus is everything. And we lose sight of that too easily. We're so quick to add things to the meaning of life. We're so quick to add things to the meaning of church. And, but Jesus is, is, is everything. And Jesus said it himself. He says, if you remain, if you stay, if you abide where I am, you will have and do everything that 
I want you to do. You'll understand the fulfillment of my life in you. If you wander from me, he says, you're not going to be able to do anything. Is Jesus everything? In him, we can do all things. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Is Jesus everything? And this is at a relational level. We have to really understand that. Sometimes I hear people say that, well, they're always filled with the power of the Spirit because they're a Christian. The Spirit of God lives within me, so of course I'm always walking in the Spirit. But yet that person will exhibit sometimes pride. In fact, making the statement that they made is prideful. (laughs) Or they'll exhibit doubt, or they'll exhibit sin. Because this person has come to a theological belief that they're always flowing in the Spirit because that is not dependent on a closeness of relationship. It's dependent on a legal status that I have with God. I'm a Christian, therefore, I'm always living in the Spirit. Well, that would be the same as saying, because I have a marriage license, therefore, my wife and I are always relationally close. We don't have to work at it. We have a license. I don't have to talk to her. I have a license. I'm close to her. I don't have to talk to God. I'm a Christian. Don't turn your relationship with Jesus into legal terminology. It's a relationship. So, is it possible to be abiding in the life of Christ Jesus, intimate with Him, close to Him in relationship, talking to Him, Him talking to you, and have this abiding, close, intimate fellowship with Jesus in those moments that you have that? Is it possible for you to be sending up a storm? Or sinning at all, for that matter? Absolutely not. My sin occurs when my relational proximity to Jesus grows distant. Is Jesus everything? And the more I'm in relationship with him, the more I am in him, the more I am abiding, remaining, staying where he is. The power of the life of Christ flows through me like sap from a vine through the branches, and it produces fruit. So our daily pursuit is somewhat simple. It's to know Him, to reach for Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to draw into Him, to desire Him. The Word of God over and over highlights this for us. There's this call of relationship and knowing Him moment by moment. I love the passages of Scripture from John 14, really John 13 through John 17, where Jesus is spending these these chapters talking with his disciples on the night before he's going to the cross. It's kind of like his last discourse. I'm telling you, disciples, everything that's truly, truly the heart of the matter. These are the words I want to leave with you. And so in John 14, starting with verse 16... Jesus says this to his followers. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you, followers of Christ, you know him, 
And why do you know him? Because he lives, he abides with you and will be in you through his spirit. He says in verse 18, I will, Jesus is saying, disciples, followers, my followers, I will not leave you as an orphan, a relational term. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Down in verse 23, he closes the discourse by saying, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we, Father, Son, and Spirit, we, the Godhead, we will come to him and make our home, our abode with him. Amen and amen. Jesus didn't come to give you a legal ticket to heaven. He came because he has a passion for you relationally. He has a heartbeat that beats for you. He has this desire to talk with you, to spend time with you, to live his power through you. What about us as a church this year? Do we have things happening in our church that could get our focus on temporary things other than Jesus this year? At the prayer meeting this past Wednesday, God really showed up in my life, and I want you to know that. We had a small group here. We only had 16 adults, 11 youth here. But God can do some things powerfully no matter how many people are here. <laughs> and he began planting something in my heart in that time that uh, is this. And that's and you've heard me pray it and say it already today. What if... What if we could get to the end of 2014 and look back and the story we would tell would have very little to do about a new building? What if we could look back at 2014 as a year where Jesus became so real to us that something happened, I can't explain it, but something happened to our worship. <laughs> something happened to our Sunday morning Services, And I'm not talking about an emotional kind of thing. I'm just saying that there was a reality that was so Jesus that everybody knew it. What if the power of God was continually being demonstrated and people had this passion, hunger for God and His Word that... People who did not know God, that were far from Christ, would come here to see what was going on and to find the reality of His grace for them. And I'm telling you right here as pastor, I think it would be a great tragedy if the story of Grace Bible Church in 2014 is a story about a new building. Do we need a new building? Probably yes. Well, let's hope so. We're building one. <laughs> but is that, is that our goal for this year, is to, to relocate? I certainly hope not. 
if, if we as a people are going to realize the full work of God in our midst this year, uh, we need to live and take Philippians 3 to heart, I think. We have to forget the past. Even the good. Has God done good things in this church? Has God done wonderful things in the past in this church? Yes. Has God brought about a miracle to put this church on this corner? 30-some years ago? Yes. Have lives been changed in this building? Yes. But if we don't lay aside, forget, and turn and look forward, we'll miss. We'll miss out. Because you see, when we, when, we, when we keep looking back or we try to incorporate the past with the present and we try to incorporate the past and we can't do that, we can't say that this church is a certain way because it has been that way in the past. And we can't say that we, have a, a, we, we worship a certain way because that's the way we've always been. We can't say that, well, this is the way we do ministry and organization or or anything else that has been established by our past. Can we learn from our past? Can we build on those things? Yes, but they're gone. They're, they're done. They're over. What is it, God, that you have for us now? What is it, God, that how do you want to change me as pastor? How do you want to change our staff? How do you want to work in our leadership? What is the future look for us? We want to know the divine will of God. Could it be that God wants to do a new thing? Well, to me, that sounds like God. Doesn't it sound like God to you? Behold, I will do a new thing. He may be ready to write this chapter of 2014, and it will look nothing like the chapter that he wrote in 2013 or 2012 or 2011. And if we insist on the way things have been, we will miss the adventure that lies in front of us. The other part of the scripture is to be intentional about reaching forward, to decide to reach forward. And as a church body, can we pursue the life of Christ Jesus in all that we do? Let us declare as a unified voice today, we want to know Jesus. We want others to know Jesus. Through our work in missions and life groups and serve teams and children, youth ministries, everything that we do, we want people to know who Jesus is. I want to know Jesus more this year. I want to draw into his heart closer this year. Who cares if the people that we reach out to ever come to this church? Our pursuit is not to build a church. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather build the kingdom of God? <laughs> it's to know Him. So what about you? Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. I mean, I, I know that I've done this before. Don't kid yourself or rationalize by saying that you do a lot of spiritual things. I go to church every week. You study your Bible a lot. You pray a lot. I don't send a whole lot. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I guess I know him. Don't kid yourself. Are you close to his heart today? 
Is he nourishing you? Is he speaking into your life? Is he comforting your pain? Is he opening up his will to you? Is he saying, here's where I'm calling you to? Here's the power that I want to exhibit through you. You you can't get the fullness of what your purpose on this life is apart from the singular focus of Jesus. And that's why I say it over and over. Knowing Jesus is everything. It is everything. Let's pray. Father, I just pray.